0: And those, I get asked this fairly often, we always try and put the recordings um, of the messages, and most of the time the services, on fbcdan.com. So if there's ever a message, especially in a series that you missed and you want to go back and listen to, it is there. For those of you that do podcasts, it also goes out to Apple and Google Podcasts. So we try to get it out there. Try to by Monday, most of the time by Tuesday, it's it's up and ready and, and you can hear those things there. So we've been in a series, like I said, for... We're going on for three weeks now, today. We're going to finish it up today. And uh, we're just looking at this this crazy time that we live in. Twisted Truths. The antidote to misconspiracy conspiracy theories, and misinformation will be in two different places today. Numbers 23 and Ephesians 4. We'll get there at different times. But Proverbs 18.2 has been kind of our, our theme verse for this series. Uh, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only wants to show off his opinions. We don't want to be a fool that only pops off about things half-heartedly or things that we just don't even really know about. Uh, We want to be wise, godly wisdom, not just worldly wisdom. The first week we looked, our, our kind of our base verse was, Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, charge all the duties of your ministry, So we really looked at that first week that there's a lot of things out there that are considered scripture that aren't scripture and that we need to take the word of God very seriously, as seriously as we can take it. The, the word of God is life. And then the next week, last week, we looked at uh, several verses, but we kind of came on, re- re- remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen, but like Awanas has taught many of us throughout our lives, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed correctly, teaching the word of truth. So we looked at last week that, that words matter, but words, silly words, trivial things, aren't the things that we should focus on, That we should, that we should speak truth, that we should stand up for truth, that the content of our conversations really matters and really can make a difference But at the same time, things that aren't important shouldn't be the most important things. The most important things should be the most important things. And the most important thing for you and for me and for all mankind is the gospel truth. That God loves you, has died for you to forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life. And he's done that for me and you and everyone who has ever known him. He has just wanted faith in him. Trust, hope, love, love. Of him, That's what he has wanted from the get-go, and the reason he wants that is because he's the creator of all things, and he deserves it, and he deserves that and a whole lot more, so we're kind of finishing up all of that today, I've uh, mentioned this a couple of times, I haven't really talked about it, the thing that worries me, the, one of the reasons I wanted to kind of get into this scripturally was because of the, the thing out there, they, they call it now confirmation bias, there's a confirmation bias that we have as human beings that if we're not careful, we will, if we think something is true, we will do a really good job, and it's easier now than ever to just go out there and find the things that already confirm what we already think are true. Okay, We've got one thing in this life that's true, and that's the Word of God. And everything else needs to be tested and approved against that. And if, it's, and if it doesn't hold up, then no matter who says it, or what you think, or how you were raised, or where you were raised, or any of that stuff, if it doesn't stand up to the test of the word of God, then it is not truth, and we shouldn't be part of it. Certainly shouldn't be part of spreading it. Couple of, couple of quotes as we get into to finishing up our, our desire for truth. Today, when, you, when, we're, when regard for truth as Augustine, the former emperor of Rome, When regard for truth has been broken down and even slightly weakened, all things remain doubtful. Just talking about the importance of truth, that type of thing. Abraham Lincoln, one of the greatest, if not the greatest president we ever had. No man has a good enough memory to make a successful liar. It's difficult to lie all the time and keep up with it. You know, the the old saying is, I sleep well because I've got a clear conscience, right? That's not, it's not quite that simple, but sometimes it is, sometimes it is. Uh, so we want to have truth in our lives. We want to be truth seekers. We want to be truth tellers. Because that's what God is. And uh, it kind of it reminds me of the story I read this week. Four high school teenage boys. You already know where the story's headed if I start it like that. <laughs> Four high school teenage boys. They, ju- they just didn't really want to go to first period one day. And uh, so they decided to skip class for a while, and uh, they were going to come back after lunch, and they came up with a story together that, you know, they had a flat tire, and, um, and that was the story that they had. They had a flat tire, and that's why they were late, and they got it fixed, and that's why they got there, and of course, they get there, and, you know, the principal st- stops them, brings them into the office, and asks them what happens. You know, what? why are you late? Why haven't you been here? And they said, well, we had a flat tire, and they were really surprised that... That the principal took it so so quickly, so easily, they just kind of smiled and said, "Oh, well, that's good." She was worried about them and what might happen. And she said, "Well, you guys missed a, a quiz this morning in your first period of class, so you need to sit down now and, and retake that or take that quiz that you missed, um, so you can get back, you know, back on track and everything." And so they all thought they were fine, and they sat down to take the quiz. And she said, uh, "There's only one question on this quiz." She said. Which tire was flat? <laughs> Some of you without a sense of humor? May, may not find humor in that, but I think that's hilarious and genius, right? So my, my teacher, friends, my educator, f- students, I'm sorry, you're fixing to hate me for what I'm about to say, but if I'd have thought of this when I was a teacher, I would have done it. So, so on those notes of being wise and being, being sharp and the way to handle things, right? That's almost Solomon-like the way you can handle that right there. But I read this the other day, this is a teacher hack for all the educators out there. If you're having difficulty with students being on their phones in class and not paying attention, one, have a little grace, my opinion. Two, if it is actually a problem and causing a problem in the class, ain't no reason to take it away. Just get their phone and wrongly put in their password over and over and over and over. And the more you do that, the longer it locks it up. You can lock it up for eight hours, 24 hours. Now, if you go too far, you might have mom and dad mad at you, but if you just do it for the length of the amount of school, then problem solved. So sometimes it's work smarter, or not harder, right? All right, I'm digressing now, I'll, I'll get back on track. Why do we need to be here to hear this word today? Because the truth builds up and lies promote destruction. That's, that's kind of the underlying premise of the entire series and hopefully the point that we drive. Home today. The truth builds up. It is good. The truth is good. It is good for us. It does good things. It is right. It is correct. It edifies. It builds up. And lies inevitably and always, without a doubt, they always lead to death and decay and destruction and hurt and the things that we don't want to experience in this life. So hopefully we will look at Scripture and just see some couple of different areas where God speaks that to us. The first place we're going to is Numbers. 23. We'll be in Numbers 23. Now Numbers, and the, most of the, well, the entire Pentateuch is about 35. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the, of the Bible. The Law of Moses is another way it's described in Scripture. That's about 1500 B.C., about 3,500 years ago. That's not exact, but, but, but there's no reason to know exactly when it was. It was that, it's easy to remember 3,500. So it was about 1500 B.C. So it's a long time ago, uh, and we're picking up towards the end of, of Numbers which is a book that gets disregarded unfortunately because there's a lot of Numbers in there and a lot of ritual and things like that which really tell you about people uh, when you look at those types of things but there's a little bit of narrative and this is one of the narratives in the book of Numbers um, that we're looking at today in, in 23 and it talks about a you know, little bit of back as we get into this because we're not only looking at a couple of verses it's talking about the Moabites okay now who are the Moabites? Well, the Moabites were the perennial, annual, and continual thorns in the side of Israel's neck. They were a pain. They were the enemy. They were always one of their problems. Okay? One of the, the neat things, or really, actually, it's not even neat, it's disgusting. One of the disgusting things about the Moabites is how they started. Right? If you go all the way back to who Moab was, Moab is Lot's son descended from Lot and his daughter which is weird and gross and disgusting and the bible never says explicitly that that's weird disgross, gross gross and disgusting but then it goes on to describe the moabites as paganists godless loveless disgusting human beings and nations for the rest of the time it talks about the moabites so it says it it just doesn't say it directly so this is who we're dealing with in this situ- in this area they're they're kind of if, you, if you're looking like at a map of Israel, and Israel's like that little strip by the sea, Moab is kind of right here. It, it borders up a little bit with the Dead Sea. So you have to go, you go around the Dead Sea to get into the Jordan River. This is right before they're about to cross the Jordan River, soon before it, and actually take the Promised Land. So you have to go through there to get to where they're trying to go. And so there's, a, there's so much backstory that goes to all of this, but that's just a little bit of it. Um, Moab, Moab has recently lost where we're picking it up recently lost most of their lands to Sion, another nation. They've recently lost most of their lands to Sion, and then Israel has recently defeated Sion. Okay, so Moab is in a very vulnerable place where we're picking it up today. They're, They're small, their land is small, their people are down, all those types of things. The things that make kings nervous and the things that make kings do crazy things. So King Balak of the Moabites is desperate, and he tries to get a guy who can put a curse on the Israelites before they get there, who can take them out, wipe them out. So he's, he's willing to pay this guy a decent amount of money uh, to be a, a soothsayer, to be, to be wicked, to, to put a curse on the nation of Israel. That's what he is trying to do, and that guy's name is Balaam. Balaam is not sure about this. Now, he's a sorcerer for hire. So it's, it's odd in the story that he even has any trepidation at all about doing this. Because normally I think a guy like Balaam would just, sure, money, curse, good to go. But for some reason, almost like somebody's in control of creation, I don't know, maybe, he has a little bit of trepidation. He's not going to do it at first. And then finally, he feels like it's okay, even though God's not really his God. He's pagan-ish not a good guy really but he's kind of described as a good guy in the story it's one of those classic like the classic stories where you the bad guy's almost the good guy and you're not sure whether you should hate him or like him that type of thing and he decides god he, that the god is allowing him to now do this now many of you know this story it's a crazy story so he's finally allowed to go and then he's riding the donkey to get there right to meet king uh balak and then the donkey stops and three times he tries to get the donkey to go but the donkey won't go Right, and then the donkey turns and talks to him. Okay, I'm telling you, Scripture is really, really awesome. We should spend some time in there. It's really cool. It's really interesting. And the donkey says, basically, dude, the the angel of the Lord's right there. If we keep going, he's fixing to kill me. Right now, there's a lot of ways we could you could take that, and there's a lot of I mean, we could spend time just on this story, but one of the points of the story, I think that it's trying to show is that if God, now this is a donkey, right? Now, back in the day, you described a donkey with a different word, okay? But if you say that nowadays, all the kids laugh because they think this preacher's getting away with something. But, but think about that. If, if, if God can put words into a donkey's mouth to control a situation, then he can certainly put words into Balaam's mouth. And I think that's a big part of the story that I've just kind of glossed over for most of my life. That, that's kind of what, that's kind of one of the things that is definitely being being said here. So he can put words in a donkey's mouth. He can definitely have use Balaam and have him say what he wants him to say. Not that Balaam is righteous, God is righteous, and using him kind of like me standing here. I'm not righteous. I'm just sharing truth from God's word that is righteous. I'm I'm not what is to be revered. Balaam's not what is to be revered. God and God's word is what is to be revered. So. So he gets there finally, after all that crazy stuff, and and three times King Balak asks Balaam to curse Israel. And three times he consults with the Lord, and the the, the Lord gives him words, and he gives an oracle that is a blessing on Israel. So it's a complete and utter failure for King Balak of the Moabites. The part we're looking at today, and it's a very short part, but I think all of that helps us understand the seriousness of these words that are being said, is during the second time that Balaam is blessing Israel, even though King Balak has paid him to not do that, to do the opposite of that. Okay, so chapter 23, and we're going to, verse 18, just a couple of verses. Second time Balaam was speaking blessing over Israel, even though he's been paid to do the opposite. Balaam proclaimed his poem. Balak, that's the king... Get up and listen, son of zipper, pay attention to what I say. God is not a man that he might lie or a son of man that he might change his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? And then he goes on to give the second blessing on Israel. And, and, and all that stuff is cool and interesting and worth your time, but it's not what we're looking at today. The point today is what he says about God. God is not a man that he might lie or a son of man that he might change his mind. And then he asks a rhetorical question. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? Is that who God is? God doesn't lie. God doesn't just whimsically change his mind based on circumstance or what you think is right or I think is right or what anybody's ever thought was right. That's not who God is. Does he, does he not fulfill his promises? Does he not show up and do what he says he's gonna do? That's the rhetorical question there. What what a truth, what a truth about the guy that we say we come here and worship every Sunday and proclaim to to stake our eternity on. What a truth to know about him. He is always this. He is always faithful and true. He is always faithful and true. So therefore, he is, he is always faithful and true. So therefore, he is always faithful and true. Do you understand what I'm saying? He is faithful and true. That is who he is. It's not something he has to try to do. It is who he is. So because it's who he is, God is faithful and God is true. Then he is always faithful and true in the way that he conducts things. That is the way it goes with God. It's, it, and it contrasts there with man, right? What does it say man does? Man lies. <laughs> man wavers. He breaks his word. He, he doesn't fulfill his promises. He promises you something, but he doesn't show up and do it every single time. And every single one of us has done that, has broken a promise or two or a thousand, right? And every single one of us whether you can think of a big promise you've broken or not, every single one of us can definitely remember the time somebody broke their promise to us. Because we're good at remembering those. So we've experienced that. We know what that's like. Man lies. Man wavers. He's, he's, he's fickle, is another word you could say there. He breaks his word, his promises, and it hurts when that happens. And it destroys when that happens. It hurts people's lives. It damages families. It damages friendships. It damages churches. It causes decay and rot in the places that we care about when we do those things. But, but it says that's what man does. That's what sinful man does. Man that wanted to know the, the knowledge of good and evil now has it and now uses evil for his own benefit. That's the story of man. Because man wants to be like God. But man ain't God. That's not who God is. God is faithful and true so therefore he is always faithful and true thank God right thank you Lord that you are always faithful and true so you know like this this whole series the third word was misinformation and we're not going to talk about a lot about misinformation about specific misinformation today um, but just it's kind of been the underlying, like, thing. It's been there the whole time, right? That there's a lot of misinformation out there. Sometimes, and there's two words for that nowadays. Now people say misinformation, but now they also say disinformation, right? Misinformation is like things that are wrong. Disinformation is like knowing it's wrong and still using it anyway for your benefit. There's a whole lot of that out there, too, right? It's a, it's a crazy time to try to be Part of things, right? I almost think at times like this, like the Amish, they might have had it figured out. They don't know how crazy everything is right now. They're just chilling, they're going right along, right? I mean, I don't know. That wasn't in my notes, that was off the cuff, sorry. <laughs> so, as we're looking at things, here, here's something I hear a lot about. Um, the United States is, is no longer a Christian nation, or the, you know, the, the United States used to be this, and now it's that, or the, or the church is just non-existent in the United States now, right? And, 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 I, and I get where those things come, through, come from, and, and some of those things in certain conversations are true, and things I read say those types of things, and like the country's just, it's just ruined, right? It is just terrible and ruined, and where are we headed? This is unbelievable, right? I, uh, some people think that, that like, there's barely any Christians left in the United States, okay? So let's take an honest look at it. Let's, the, the, cool, the cool thing is a, a Pew Research article that just put out information about this has done a study, and they continually do studies all the time. December fourteenth, twenty 2021, this article came out, pre- Pew Research article if you want to go look it up for yourself, and just put out a lot of new statistics that they do every year on the church. Now, I'm not doing this to... to Encourage or discourage. I'm just doing this to give you some some actual information so that you know the truth So the first one here is what's the state of the church? Is what we're looking at right we're about to have the state of the union in about a month, which man I don't know about you, but I'm thoroughly look, I'm kidding. I'm not looking forward to that at all golly anyway focus <laughs> Other than the entertainment value because I'm sure something very entertaining will come out of it, but other than that I, I'm sorry the US roughly Three in 10 adults now are religiously unaffiliated. They are religiously unaffiliated. They do not subscribe to any religion. So that that means they may not have any religion or they may be agnostic or atheist, okay? That's what that first statistic there is. Uh, It's 29%, about, about three in 10, about three in 10. Now you can, I don't know if you can see, but the chart here is from 2007 to 2021. So in 2007, that percentage of, of not, not religious was 16%, and now it's 29%, which means it's gone up a lot, almost doubled, and that is troubling, okay? But you can see the top line there says that in to- 2007, now the question was, um, do you consider yourself a Christian, okay, pretty vague question, excuse me. In 2007, 78% of the United States people that were polled said yes, in, in 2021, 63%. So it has gone down, but still 6 in 10 people in the country at least identify themselves as a Christian. If you say, are you a Christian, to 100 people, statistically, 100 random people, 63 out of those 100, more times than not, are going to say that they are a Christian. Now, that doesn't mean they are a Christian, but at least they say they I don't, not at least I don't want to call oh not at least because just saying you're Christian and not being one is that's awful but they say that they're a Christian okay Ooh, about went down the wrong road there next one among Protestants born-again or evangelical Christians continue to outnumber non evangelicals so the question is like Okay, so if you say, yes, you're, you're a Christian, then the next question goes to, well, what do you affiliate yourself with in Christianity? Are you Baptist, Methodist, a lot of different denominations that are considered evangelical, right, or not? Or are you something else, Christianity, which is more than Catholic, but mostly that, do not, that breaks down into Catholic. That's the biggest part of that, okay? So born again or evangelical Christians continue to outnumber non-evangelicals. So the majority of people that say they are Christian in this country are Protestants, that's what that's saying, okay, Mm -hmm. by far, but that number, it stayed about the same, 58 to 60 percent in 2007 to 21, gone up a little bit with white Protestants, and you can't see that actual number, but it's 66, stayed about the same with black Protestants, okay, but that little chart there that says, uh, yes, I'm a Protestant, but I'm also a born-again evangelical and Protestant, has gone down from 30% to 24%, so 6% drop from people that say they are Protestant that are also born-again evangelical, which to clarify that, what that in a broad sense means that you think you should share the gospel. That's what an evangelical actually is. A lot of other Christian, Christian denominations don't really view Christianity that way. Okay? Now, why is there a drop? I don't know. What has changed a lot in the last 40 years? Quote, the word evangelical has been put side by side with certain political movements. Sometimes correctly, sometimes incorrectly. When I mean incorrectly, not what they're associated with, that the word evangelical is associated with this specific thing or person or political party or things like that and I think maybe that the fact that the word evangelical and people that call themselves evangelical have put, the, have put politics over the gospel has damaged that a little bit. I could be wrong. And you may be mad at me for saying that. And that's cool. We can still love each other. You can be mad. We'll talk about it. And then we'll move on. What am I saying? I'm saying that maybe the fact that we've hitched our wagons to kings instead of the king of kings. Maybe that's not the best approach for the church. For Christians, just maybe. Maybe the idea that if we can just get the right guy, the right gal at the top, then everything will be fixed. Maybe that's incorrect. And where do I get that idea from? I don't know. All of scripture. Israel's entire history. Desiring somebody at the top that could fix everything. Did that work? No. It didn't. It didn't work for them. It hasn't worked for the entire history of humanity, and it's not going to work now. If we get the right person in the Oval Office, quote-unquote right person, it's not going to fix everything. It's not about fixing the Oval Office. It's about fixing the church. That's what God instituted. Now, He uses government. But what he what he instituted to reach the nations and to bring the kingdom of God to the world, one thing he instituted, his assembled people, the church. That's where it's got to come from. And until we start taking that responsibility seriously, we can forget about fixing America with politics. It's not going to happen. I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved. I'm not saying you shouldn't care. I'm not saying you shouldn't run for office and all of those things, because yes, everything that we do that is a good thing is good in whatever area it is. And so if that's kind of your thing and that's where you're, great. But the idea, the myth, the misinformation that if we just get the right political leaders, then America's gonna suddenly flip flop and be fixed overnight or whatever that thinking is, is not right, it's wrong, it's incorrect, it's not the truth, because scripture shows us that very clearly. We are to worship the king of kings, not a king or a president or a whatever, not a pastor or anything else. The king of kings, Jesus, that's it. Moving along, ooh, got a little fired up on that one. When we get into different things about Christians, Four in 10 U.S. adults consider religion very important in their life. Think about the math on that. Okay? Fewer than half of U.S. adults pray daily. 58% in 2007, 45%. When asked that question, do you pray daily, 45% now say no. Okay? Think about the math. A quarter of U.S. adults say they attend religious services at least weekly. So I don't know if you can see that very well. So monthly or more, 2021, 31% of U.S. adults say they attend monthly or more. Of that 31%, 25%, so a quarter, say they attend church at least once a week outside of weddings and funerals. That's not considered part. That was part of the question. Not counting weddings and funerals, how often do you go to church? Okay? And then it says, a few times a year or less, 68% of U.S. adults in this poll say they go to church a few times a year or less. 68%. Now, I'm not a math major, but I can do some addition and some simple arithmetic. So the first slide said that 63% of the country says it's Christian. right? But 4 in 10, 41% consider religion very important in their lives. And 25% go to church at least once a week. Only 31% go monthly or more. 63% say they're Christian. 68% say they go to church a few times a year or less. Less than half of people say they pray daily, but 63% say they are Christian. It's like, probably not. Probably not. I mean, it, I know when you start getting into this stuff, what are you saying? Are you saying that you have to do something to be a No, I'm not saying you have to do something to be saved. I'm saying if you're saved, that you're going to do something. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's a big difference between those things. right? Eight in ten, born-again evangelical Protestants pray daily. Hey. Right? So the majority of people that say they're Christians in the country are Protestant. And the majority of Protestants, eight in ten, say they pray daily. Hey, that's good news. So we, we almost have everybody who says that they are a part of what we think we are a part of Almost all of them pray daily. Cool. But most of those people that say that they're a Christian, whoever they are, that don't or don't go to church ever, I'm I'm not saying like God's got a checklist. Oh, he didn't go to church. He didn't go to church. Oh, he's probably not a Christian anymore. Probably not a Christian anymore. He had not gone to church in four weeks. That's not what I'm saying. Not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is God gave us an assembled people and told us to assemble. And if you're never doing that, Take that how you'd like to take it. Okay, so (laughs) you get these statistics and you see that, yeah, some things aren't great. Some things have gotten better, actually. Okay, and I could break down a lot more of those numbers. It says there that born-again evangelical black Americans, 81% of them pray daily. Born-again evangelical white Christians, 63%. So thankfully, Those who are black and evangelical are picking up the slack for the church. But, okay, I'll I'll stop now, because I'm fixing to to go to meddling, but I'm just saying, think about it. We get these statistics, and some is good, and some is bad, and I I know what you're thinking, because I'm getting older, and I start thinking these things too sometimes. It's those darn young people. That's who it is. The country's going to the dogs because of those darn young folks. All right? Maybe there's some truth in that, but I do have a little bit of data for you from a Barna study, August 13, 2021, an article on Christianity Today, a Barna study, 70% of the 13 to 18 year olds, teenagers, 13 to 18 year olds were polled. 70% of them identified as Christian, higher than the national average. That's cool, right? And then of those 70%, so you take that group, once they say, yes, I'm a Christian, then you ask them questions. Of that 70%, 82% of these teenage Christians between the ages of 13 and 18 say that it's important to them to share their faith. Amen again, I agree. 80% have shared their faith at least once in the last year. Mm -hmm. How about us non-teenagers? We shared our faith in the last year. Ooh, you teacher preacher, you done going to meddling. <laughs> a 19-year-old in this article, a 19-year-old from Dallas, says the big thing is showing somebody what their identity could be through Christ. Everybody is pushing you to be polarized. Way over here or way over here. And ultimately, that just pushes you deeper into a sense of not belonging, not having an identity. And, G- D- and because of that, Gen Z is digging deeper into loneliness. That's what this, this, this young man said. Out of that study, one of, the, one of the quotes from it, Gen Z Christians, Gen Z is, is the youngsters of now. Okay, Millennials aren't the youngsters anymore, for those of you that don't know that. Like we're in church and leading and have businesses and families and... All of that Gen Z is the youngsters of today because you know XYZ, Gen X, never mind. Gen Z Christians seem to be hyper considerate conversation partners, according to the report, driven to listen and learn from others, and preferring this is my favorite quote of the whole article and preferring to quote prove their faith with their actions, not their words. Wow. Sounds to me like some of these teenagers got it figured out. Sounds to me like they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Sounds to me if we got a problem with young people, I shouldn't say this. If we got a problem with young people, the question that I ask to that is, as a parent, who's raising them? Who has raised them? Who are their grandparents? Who's been responsible for them? I mean, I know some of them have raised their selves, and that's a travesty. But some of them haven't. I mean, the kids that are kids now, this is Gen X's kids. This is 40, over 40 years old. That group, Gen X, these are your kids now. What, what, what are we teaching them? What are we doing? Okay. Today's one of those days I've taken a lot of deep breaths preparing this sermon today getting ready for today. Jordan Whitmer, the 22 year old founder of a Gen Z evangelist, evangelistic organization called How To Life Movement. And I looked into it, it's pretty cool. They, they're holding in-person evangelical events all around the country for young people and seeing people come to Christ. Said they, there are young Christians proclaiming the gospel, because now we're getting into the big problem, right? On social media. There are young Christians proclaiming the gospel on social media, especially the video sharing site TikTok, which is probably the most popular among young people these days. He sees that as something important. Check out this quote from this guy. If Billy Graham were 25 years old today, he would be on TikTok. Hmm. Now, at the same time, we think that that's all kids care about. Check this quote out. And then I'm done, we're moving on. I don't know any of my friends who make TikToks. This is talk Jordan Whitmer, the guy that founded this evangelical organization. Evangelistic. Any of my friends who make TikTok videos or social media content or, or any Gen Zer who would say, quote, I love social media. You would never see that on a t-shirt, he says. They've grown up with it, and they understand, a lot of them, that it's a blessing and a curse. Quote, he says, and 90% of the time, it's a curse. But you try to focus on the 10%, he says. In other words, teenagers aren't stupid all the time. but When it comes to this, they're not stupid. They know that there's a lot of junk and dangerous things out there. But there's a whole bunch of them, and I follow some of them because it's uplifting that are out there preaching and teaching the gospel with their lives and with their social media. Why? Because people are on social media. I learned that in 2017 at a technological church conference. The guy stood there and said, would Jesus be on social media? I don't know. People are on social media. Jesus was always where people were. So probably. I'm not, Listen, some of you are going to walk out there and go, i gotta get on, I got to get on TikTok and start making a difference. You just missed the point. <laughs> what I'm saying is wherever we are, we ought to be using it for good, for truth, for the gospel, making a difference in the world. And, 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 and maybe the teenagers as a whole aren't the problem. Maybe, just maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe the problem is sin, and maybe that pervades all ages. Just maybe. Maybe. Now I'm done. As a former youth pastor, I feel better saying all that. Now we're skipping over to Ephesians 11. Right? Because we're looking at the antidote. Right? That's who God is. God is true and faithful. He is and always is true and faithful. This is Paul. Pick it up with me in Ephesians 4.11. Hopefully you kept a finger there. And he personally gave some to be, talking about Jesus. Jesus some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training up of the saints in the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Okay, so this is kind of a preface to what we're about to say. So he says, look, we've got prophets and evangelists and apostles and and teachers and, and pastors. God has given some people to be that so that the entire church can be built up and matured and healthy and he's making sure you understand that the pastor's not greater than the table server and the table server is not greater than the pastor but we all serve different roles and the whole point of those leading roles is to build up the church so that the church does stuff for Jesus and they become mature in their faith, okay? So we're, we, we want a mature Christian body, Paul is saying here, right? Why? And this is the the crux of the whole series. Then we will no longer verse fourteen, then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cutting, with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. There it is right there, church. Why does truth matter? Why does doctrine matter? Why does teaching and preaching and us being together and hearing the Word of God and and discerning the Word of God and trying to implant the Word of God in us? Because it's the only truth we have. It's the only option we have to true truth. And without it, we can't mature. And without it, we will be blown to and fro by the world now more than ever. Because if we're not reaching people and teaching people and doing the things we need to do, you can bet somebody is. And the likelihood that it's somebody you wouldn't want doing that for your grandchild, for your kid, for your nephew or your niece, for your buddy, for your spouse, for your future spouse, whatever the case may be, the likelihood that somebody is going to lead someone somewhere that you don't want them to go is very high if we only have one source of truth, God's Word, and He only gave us one institution to disseminate that Word, the church. If we ain't doing it, and who is? It's probably somebody we don't want it to be. We don't want to be tossed to and fro, and it's happening. And easier for that to happen now, more than ever. And it's happening inside the church, with all the junk that we've talked about the last couple of weeks, more now than ever. And it's disturbing, and it's also heartbreaking. moving along, verse 15. So, how do we mature? But speaking, this is right after we just finished. We don't want to be tossed to and fro. Human cunning, cleverness, deceit, all that. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ, the head of the church. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Since you put away lying, I'll skip down to verse 25. Since you put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. What am I saying? I'm saying there's the antidote. There it is. We don't want our kids and our grandkids and everyone tossed to and fro and following things that aren't true and being deceived and following human cleverness. We don't want that to happen. And Paul tells us right there, the way we don't let that happen is by assembling and speaking the truth in love to each other as often and as much as we possibly can. Which I don't know how much that means and how often that means, but it definitely means more than three times a year. Like that chart showed us most Christians Say they go to church. It definitely means more often than that. Okay? So the antidote is speaking the truth in love. The truth comes from the word, and it's gotta be done for the right reasons. Speak the truth in love. Now, I'm almost done, and I know we're going late and some of you are getting itchy, and I'm almost done, I promise. Three more slides. What do we say? Here's here's what the way Proverbs 1728 says it. Even a fool is considered wise. When he keeps silent, discerning when he seals his lips. That's from the HCSB, my personal favorite translation in English. The HCSB, that's the way it says it. I'm not saying it's best, I'm just saying it really clicks with me, it does well. Very literal, very readable, good combination. Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent, discerning when he seals his lips. (laughs) But I like, now be careful, but I like the way the message says this one. Okay, The message is like really modern and takes, like, swaths of passages and, and, and translates the point of the, of, the, of the paragraph, not necessarily verse for verse. So I'm not saying follow it for doctrine. I'm not saying that. But sometimes the modern words are just on the nose and perfect. Here's the way the message says that verse. Even dunces who keep quiet are thought to be wise. As long as they keep their mouth shut, they're smart. <laughs> I like that. So what? one statement to finish it up right what am i saying we need to seek and speak the truth only and there's only one source of that guys we need to seek and speak the truth only don't spout off and blab off and pop off about things that we're not sure about or that don't matter or they're trivial and all that type of don't stake our lives on that junk. But as a follower of Jesus, as a person who has the ability to share the words of life and change someone's eternity, we need to be seekers and speakers of the truth and only the truth. And you got taught that and I got taught that when we were this little. We got told not to tell lies back then because we know that it does damage and destruction. We can't do that. We can't be Those people. We can't be the ten full crazy people out there in the world talking about all the stuff that doesn't matter and never talking about the Word of God. Okay, I'm done. Seek and speak the truth only. And the most important truth is Jesus.